Hello everyone and thanks so much for joining us for this new episode of the Food Science Addict podcast. In this podcast we aim at discovering food science topics for those of you who already know what food science is and also for those of you who are not sure about it. Listen to us while we unravel the mystery and wonders of food science from ingredients functionalities to novel technologies to novel foods and much more. Do you remember when we first mentioned 3D footprinting? Maybe you remember listening about this being an innovative food processing technique that will have its use in foods and material sciences, medicine and the pharmaceutical field, among the many. You might remember that we mentioned some particular challenges related to the printing material. It is funny because whenever I think about something that is printed, I think about colors. And I have this obsession with science and art. I see lots of colors in foods. And I believe that working with food is very similar to being an artist. It is about creative process in any case, don't you agree? But let me go back to what I was saying before I start to romanticize food science once again. Printing material was what I was talking about. But what are these? What are the colors? What are we allowed to use if we want to produce, say, a 3D pizza or a 3D printed macaron? Of course, if you remember how a 3D food printer works, you might be aware that the nozzle's diameter and the deposition speed have a significant importance in helping the material support its final shape. However, 3D printed foods and printable ingredients need to have two essential things to hold the shape of the finished product. And those two things are viscosity and mechanical strength. Let's talk about starch. Starch is the most common carbohydrate in our diets. It is made by polymerization of glucose molecules and it is insoluble in water at room temperature. But it acquires an extraordinary functionality when treated at temperatures above 50 degrees Celsius. When we put starch in water at a determined temperature between 75 and 80 Celsius degrees, very close to our cooking temperatures, the starch will start to swell by absorbing water and by doing so it will form a viscous paste. This phenomenon is generally recognized as starch gelatinization. This paste has a sheer thinning property, which means that the viscosity of the solution decreases under shearing, which is optimal if we think about 3D printing. The material behaves perfectly during deposition since the starch will easily squeeze out of the nozzle and hold its shape upon deposition. Time to cover fats. Now, fat is a macromolecular substance and it's made by a large number of carbon atoms. 
Now, simply said, they are generally divided into unsaturated and saturated fats, according to the presence or not of carbon-carbon double bonds. Saturated fats are usually solid at room temperature and they start to melt around 28-45 Celsius degrees, it depends on the type of fat. This sets really good conditions for the deposition and the shape holding during cooling when we do 3D food printing. Since these fats can form self-supporting layers, which is something that is optimal when you think about, I don't know, printing 3D printed chocolate. However, in the case of chocolate, time, temperature and speed of printing are extremely important as the material, as you can guess, will quickly solidify upon the position. Let's talk about hydrogels. Hydrogels are polymeric networks that do not dissolve in water due to their chemically or physically cross-linked structure. Hydrogels are prepared from macromolecules like arginine or santangum and they can produce a 3D structure that swells in water and can maintain volume without dissolving. And this is why it looks so good in the eye of people designing 3D foods. For example, a carrageenan hydrogel can be extruded and produce complex shapes, hence it is used as an efficient ink for food printing. But let's think about the materials that we have in our cupboards. So for example, what about broccoli or a banana? Now, not all the materials are easy to print and in some cases they might lack plasticity or some of them might not be viscous enough. And as in the case of banana or broccoli or other vegetables and fruits, they need to be pureed. So they need to, to undergo a specific process in order to produce a paste. And by doing so, these type of ingredients can undergo oxidation or browning reactions and this is something that is not advisable, neither for the chemical stability point of view and also from the consumer acceptance point of view. A good strategy that helps overcome materials printability issues is the use of a combination of ingredients in order to help increase the plasticity of the printable food and so the shape retentionability. But let me give you an example. So in 2018, the Rossi and co-workers designed a 3D printed food for children using a combination of pureed bananas, lemon juice and other fruits rich in vitamins as well as pectin. It turned out to be an excellent strategy to improve the material's printability and produce nutrient-rich foods. Now hands up if this podcast episode made you want to purchase a 3D printer for foods. I have no idea how much would it cost to have one in our kitchen, but I have the strange feeling that a 3D food printer will be placed right next to our microwave oven in a few years. What do you think about it? Are printable materials the next thing we will find on a supermarket shelf? Thank you so much for joining me for this new episode of the Food Science Addict podcast. This is the second season now and I'm really proud of it. 
If you want to read a little bit more about 3D footprinting, if I sparked some curiosity in you, do not hesitate and have a look at the links below. I will link some of the references that I used for this episode as well as the episode on the 3D footprinting technique that we recorded for the season one of this podcast. 